What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. Uh, we are we're, we're in a kind of a funny period right now in the in in 2021 in in the biden presidency uh uh joe biden is abroad i think he left yesterday on this foreign trip if i have that right so he's uh and and i think that's the first foreign trip at least the first extension extensive one and that gets it gets a president you know that's a that's a standard presidenting thing to do something they tend to like to do that it puts them uh you know uniquely in charge and uh as 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 courtesy of america they're a big cheese abroad Mm -hmm. even when even when occasionally they're only a medium cheese at home so uh that's going ahead and yet we have had a number of for what are for most Democrats some pretty negative. Uh, how can I put it? You know, pretty negative developments or or things that seem very challenging that have come into greater focus over the last couple weeks. Uh, the big one, of course, is is Joe Manchin put out this. Uh, op-ed over the weekend in his uh, the main home state paper, basically saying he will not vote for S1H1. And that's uh, the For the People Act, the big democracy protection bill that uh, Democrats are very focused on to basically turn back the wave of voter suppression bills that are, you know, moving through state houses around the country. There's also campaign finance reform stuff in there. And to me, what is in many ways perhaps the most important thing is uh, redistricting reform, putting some limits on extreme gerrymandering myself i uh and i hesitate to say this because uh, you know this will this will get me in a bunch of arguments i have never seen uh, campaign finance reform as really at all in the same universe uh of importance as these other other things people may differ uh in any case i think um I made this point uh, a month or so back, and one of the big activists on this issue uh, got in touch with me and sort of explained why I was wrong and all this kind of stuff. But the one thing that that person told me, which I think is 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 pretty relevant, is that almost for no one is the finance is the campaign finance stuff the holdup on H one S one. No one is saying like, oh yeah yeah, we do all this other stuff, but we just can't we can't you know, can't manage the campaign finance stuff. I think, you know, back in the earlier iteration with Joe Manchin, when he was still kind of uh, open to voting for some version of the For the People Act, the campaign finance stuff was actually stuff he was pretty in favor of. You know, I mean, it it, it kind of uh, it appeals to, uh, in the old sense, we used to use the term more kind of populist sensibilities, limits on on very wealthy people, uh, you know, kind of having such a decisive hand in 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 elections. Uh, those to me, again, come under uh, nice to have things as opposed to critical to have. We have to we 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 need to make sure that the when we have congressional elections, House elections, although obviously it well. It, comes into play possibly with the electoral college too. We need to make sure that by and large, when you get the most votes, you win. And we're not in that. We're not in that. In the in that universe right now. We have a bunch of states in the Midwest that consistently, albeit sometimes very closely, vote for uh, the Democrats in in most elections. State legislative elections, presidential elections, Senate elections. I'm thinking of like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Those states, you know, states that that Trump won in 2016, uh, but Democrats won again in in 2020. All that happens, and yet their state legislatures are totally dominated by by Republicans. It's, it's particularly extreme in um, in Wisconsin, where I I don't have the I, I, don't, I don't remember the exact numbers, but basically in in state legislative elections, 
in terms of the vote, the overall vote, Democrats have done fairly well, you know, reasonably well in recent years. And yet the Republicans either have majorities or super majorities. And so, and, and that obviously determines, you know, drawing the federal congressional district lines. So that is a, a basic structural thing about whether your vote counts, whether it matters. There, there's, there's the campaign finance stuff. Then there's whether you can vote, right? Is it, do, they, do they make it too hard for a lot of people to vote? Then there's does it even matter? And the does it even matter is a pretty key one too. In any case, Joe Manchin put out this, this uh, basically saying he's not voting for it. And he, he justified that with a pretty, one of these pretty tortured logics of not saying, well, I, like, I don't think, you know, state control, not federal control, or this or that. He basically just said, you have to do it on a bipartisan basis. He even said this kind of what really had to stick it to a lot of Democrats and saying, well, this is just for partisan advantage. Well, kind of, but Democrats are just make, trying to make sure that the votes are counted. And like if, it, the, the, yeah, I mean, that, that, that may advantage Democrats, but that's a good thing in general, even if it does advantage uh, one side. So, um, it, but, but basically what he seemed to be saying is, you know, voting rights are super important. So we need to make sure we're cooperating with the people who are attacking voting rights to protect voting rights. I mean, that makes no sense. <laughs> And that, I think, is what is so exasperating for, for a lot of Democrats. It's, it's, it's hard to know where you go with that. It's hard to know the basis on which you try to come to some meeting of the minds, not with Republicans, but with Joe Manchin. When, when that is what he's putting out there, he, he has for a while been saying that in place of the For the People Act, we need to do what's now generally called the uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which is kind of the upgrade of the Voting Rights Act, bringing back what, what the Supreme Court tossed out a few years ago. And that's actually really important. That is also really important. The voting rights types say they're both important and they both, they, you know, they both do complementary and very important things. So you can't substitute one for the other. That doesn't make any sense. The problem with that is that Manchin has pitched that as something where both parties can come together. But in fact, there's only one Republican who supports it, Lisa Murkowski. And like maybe Susan Collins might get on board. But the point is, it's as much if you are if you are playing under the 60 vote filibuster rules, it's just as dead as the For the People Act. So in addition to the frustration that Democrats are experiencing of not of, of seemingly facing a brick wall before them in the way of passing legislation that they see as very important, the logic is also a little, seems a little nonsensical. And again, things don't have to make sense to you. That's not a promise you get in life. But in this case, what makes it difficult, again, is that where do you, where do you start bargaining? It'd be one thing if you said, I can't go for this, this, and this. And then you say, well, come on, man, you got to do give us something and or or maybe can we change something around? Again, it's not that. It's that Manchin, at least on its face, is insisting that Democrats need to get the cooperation of the people who are trying to make voting harder to pass a law that will make it harder to, for them to make it harder. It makes no sense. So he said that. He also kind of, you know, implied that he may not go for the 50 vote rules under the reconciliation uh, uh, system for an infrastructure bill. Now, he didn't say that categorically. He kind of, you know, oh, I don't know. We got to see. We got to all this kind of stuff. So that has bummed a lot of Democrats out. Um, I wrote a few pieces about this uh, toward, you know, uh, end of last week into this week, kind of saying, what are we, what are we doing here? The, what's the plan? Do we do? Is there it? it you know, I have mentioned now many times this kind of era of opacity idea that the key things we don't we don't we have no visibility into the key thing being in like the the Biden and Manchin have some kind of understanding that he's going to be there at the end of the day at least on infrastructure so all those things are kind of happening and and it's 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 um my concern is even if you even if you assume that that Manchin you know, kind of has some sort of at least loose understanding with people at the White House, with the president, people can get pretty demoralized in the interim. And you're starting to see that happening. And um, I was talking to someone 
uh, over the weekend who is very, very high level, you know, on these things, kind of very tight in the decision-making process um, and saying that, yeah, you know, there's markup and it takes a while to kind of write the bill and, all, and there's all these processes, all true. That is how laws are written. How they are passed is, is political and electoral. You need to have momentum. You need to have the support of your partisans. And I do fear a bit that um, that the people kind of making the decisions here may not totally get that part of the dynamic. Uh, in any case, so we have all that. We have uh, that Kate is going to tell us a little more about that. Uh, we're, they're starting to kind of roll through all these votes in the Senate. They're going to bring up all the things that Republicans are saying they will filibuster. They will not allow to go to a vote. And that is also supposed to kind of, you know, bring this all to a head. What's going to happen? So uh, uh, that is happening. And uh, the other, the one other part of the mix, sort of expected and yet also a pretty big deal, is that yesterday, President Biden notified Senator Capito of, of West Virginia, who, who maybe not coincidentally is, is a Manchin's West Virginia Senate colleague, saying, you know what, these negotiations we're doing, these bipartisan negotiations over infrastructure, it, it's not working out. You know, I'm not sure you get to like, it's not me, it's you. It's not working out, right? And, and so we're done. And uh, Capito put out a statement, basically, you know, very disappointed, but not but still, you know, kind of some kind words towards the president saying, oh, too bad, blah, 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 blah. But that's done. They're no longer doing that negotiation, at least that one. And one of the things that we knew that came, that came out, I believe it was in Capito's statement, is that she said, we Republicans made clear that any revision of the Trump corporate tax cut is a red line for us. We can't do that. And, and the president kept coming back and saying, well, this corporate tax hike. And um, that, you know, th this gets back to what are we doing? What are we talking about when we talk about these bipartisan negotiations? It just makes no sense that, that the president is going to give up something that is overwhelmingly supported by his party, that is necessary to pay for really anything of, of substantial size. That can't be a red line when Republicans are, are, you know, probably not bringing more than a few people to the vote and Democrats can do this with 50 votes. I talked about it in a, in a, in a post about this on Friday. You know, the incentives are all wrong. Republicans don't want to spend this much money, A. They also don't want Biden to succeed as president. And we talk a lot about, about uh, you know, think about the country. You know, look, all, partisans all, always have that tension. They don't want to spend the money. They don't want to give Biden a success. So what is, the, what, is the, what is the incentives here? There are none. So that's done. And now we are getting into, you know, we're getting kind of the main event here about whether they're, what, what the Biden legislative agenda, what, what the record is, is going to be. You know, we're going we're gonna to talk in a moment, uh, talk a lot about Joe Manchin. Um, I did get a few of your emails over the last couple days and, you know, keep sending them in. I've been asking, you know, asking people to kind of share their thoughts, both both just, you know, you out in the country and also people who are up on Capitol Hill or in the White House, kind of, you know, more inside word. But a few of you mentioned, um, you know, Joe Manchin's been all over the place. He was totally for the filibuster. Then he was open to making it more painful and reforming it. And then he was back for defending it at all costs. And uh, he's been for, he wants a really big infrastructure bill, but he wants, he'll only support it if it has Republican support and they're stuck at around like $200 billion. They have these kind of fancy arithmetic to say it's closer to a billion, but it's not. And they're paying for it by, you know, clawing back COVID money. So anyway, we're going to get into all that pretty frustrating stuff. Um, but before we do, we can, we can, we can, we can talk a little about happier things, which is Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee, sponsor of this podcast. You know, uh, summer, you got frisbee and barbecues and picnics, all sorts of fun stuff like that. And you also have iced coffee. You bring in the summertime with Grady's New Orleans style cold brew kit. You just add water to the reusable store and pour pouch and brew overnight for velvety smooth coffee. You can drink iced or hot. You can bring it to the park, camping, do anything you want. All sorts of, you know, this is that, this is what it all, 
if some words for it that that don't really quite go with the ad copy. But this is like the you know the post COVID summer. Mm-hmm. A lot of terrible stuff still happening. But for a lot of us, we're vaccinated. Ca- case rates are going down. We can finally you know not only kind of you know meet friends at the park to, you know kind of ten feet apart. You go to restaurants. You know it's it's everybody wants to get back to that. And you wanna you wanna make uh, Grady's cold brew iced coffee a part of that. So you uh, do all those things because it's summer and you're allowed to do that kind of stuff. So if you're ready to give it a swirl, get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. So, Kate, what is going on? So I guess we'll start with the collapse of the infrastructure negotiations, which to some degree was pretty predictable. You know, they were billions of dollars apart throughout, um, you know, Biden came down about a trillion dollars from his original offer. The Republicans only ever came up, you know, 100, 200 billion. There was just always this fundamental mismatch, which kind of, you know, is so jarring when you hear Manchin insist that things be bipartisan kind of for the sake of being bipartisan, because you look at these infrastructure negotiations and you it's not a matter of kind of bipartisan versus partisan as much as it is. Democrats want a really big package and Republicans want a small package. And there's just that those are the facts, you know, those are were the facts at the beginning. You can negotiate as much as you want. That's kind of the ultimate dynamic here. Uh, so now Biden's moving on to negotiate with the they're calling themselves the G20, uh, 10 Republicans, 10 Democrats. The effort is being led by Kirsten Cinema and Rob Portman, though, like you say, uh, Mitt Romney, who's part of the group, has already said unequivocally that all tax hikes are off the table. So they're kind of just repurposing the pay-fors established by the Capito Group, which is user fees, repurposing COVID funds, uh, you know, which seems to be kind of a question mark of exactly how much of those there are. And, you know, the part that makes me want to uh, tear my hair out, which is a tax on electric vehicles, though a carbon tax is totally off the table because that's definitely the direction we yeah, should I be going. Don't, I don't understand what, I mean, <laughs> that just seems ludicrous. We're talking yep. about, you know, the real, the real debate is, is how much you subsidize electric cars. And, and it's not even, and it's not even like, um, it's not even like, you know, you're, you're, it, it's going to be a non-starter for a lot of people if you say, all right, we're outlawing coal. <laughs> or some, you know, or kind of something that hits a particular, um, you know, business group or regional economy or something like that. You're just, I mean, I, I don't think uh, people are not against electric cars. They may not want to be forced too quickly to to start using them, but people aren't against electric cars. And there's actually the the I'm sure this is the same with the with companies abroad. But the U.S. car makers, um, particularly, I, I think, especially GM, but Ford, too, are getting really aggressive and basically saying kind of like, you know, putting numbers out there where in the next decade or so or 10 or, 10 or 15 years, they're not going to be making any internal combustion engine cars. So why you attack it, 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 it it's, it's weird. But let me ask you this, Kate. Why, why do this new negotiate? Like, what is... It, it's especially if if you're if um you're you're negotiating with the same people basically yeah i mean you may not literally but neither of these groups are going to move, are are going to actually cut a deal without Mitch McConnell's approval so at the end of the day you really you're 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 negotiating with the republican caucus and and Mitch McConnell who's speaking for the republican caucus so I, I, what's the point i don't even know why that would be happening Yeah, quick, I did just want to say on the electric vehicle thing, it's like this Republican vindictiveness towards these extremely modest steps towards, you know, a more a greener society. Uh, It it is always so encapsulated for me by this one anecdote that Jimmy Carter put solar panels on the roof of the White House and then Reagan got into office and immediately took them down. Like that's just the kind of the Republican attitude towards you know, green energy uh, efficient things in general. But yeah, I think on this new group, in part, you just have to think they know it's a charade. We know it's a charade, which means it's all being done in the service of showing Mancha and that he's making, you know, a real effort. But the question that keeps coming up from that is what's enough for him, you know? Yeah. Um, And then also you have 
there is kind of increasing bullishness on the reconciliation piece of this. Um, I was up on the Hill yesterday and Bernie Sanders was kind of telling a group of us that uh, he thinks they'll start moving on reconciliation in July. And he expects that to include both the American Jobs and Families Act, which is, you know, physical infrastructure, human infrastructure, the total of which right now is about $4 trillion. Um, And Schumer's been kind of pressing that way as well. So that makes me wonder to some degree if maybe, maybe um, they're going to be willing to kind of make some kind of small plan with this bipartisan group and get as many, you know, as many Democratic priorities in as possible, but in a way that's kind of not a ton of skin off their back because then they can bundle the rest into reconciliation. So maybe that's a way of showing Manchin, you know, we agreed on everything there is to be agreed upon, um, but, you know, they wouldn't give us things that we think are very important. So we also are doing reconciliation. Yeah, I mean, I think the the one thing that kind of concerns me is that... Um, Pretty much all this stuff is important, but things have varying levels of of popularity. So I I I worry that you get into a situation where the Republicans say, Ah, yeah, we'll, we're 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 in for the popular stuff, and then you okay. guys carry the carry the you know the more wobbly stuff on your own. Well, that's that's you know, that that's not great. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, if you're talking about the future of this country over the next decade, when, when you know, the, the period of time over, over which this money will be spent, and then the sort of the transformative effect over decades into the future, you know, uh, who gets credit in the short term is not, is, is not a deal breaker. But I, I do think that is, um, you know, that's worth considering. Uh, the other thing, and this is certainly what I heard from people who I think are, are, are pretty close to this process. And, you know, to them, these basically, you know, Congress is back now. They're going to start marking this up in the House, which is to say actually writing a bill. Mm-hmm. The, the president puts out, you know, I want to spend this much on this and this much on that and, you know, kind of broad strokes what you're talking about, some, some, some uh, you know, some dollar totals and stuff. But, you know, what certainly what's been conveyed to me by a lot of people, and this is true, with the Relief Act, in almost every case, you were talking about just pouring money into existing programs. So in a legislative sense, that's pretty simple. It's 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 appropriating a bunch of money. Um, there's not much to do in terms of, you know, kind of standing up new programs. And that what we're calling infrastructure here is a bunch of totally new programs that don't exist and have to be created, have to be written. And and as we've, you know, as we've seen with the Affordable Care Act and stuff like this, you, that takes a while. And, and, you know, those folks basically saying, look, we're going to get back at the beginning of June, we're going to start writing the bill in the House, that'll take a month or so, then we'll send it over to the Senate. And that's just going on. And, and, and this kind of, uh, you know, negotiation stuff can be happening at the same time. It's not slowing us down. So who cares? Right. And I guess I, you know, I guess that that's true. Um, and if it makes, you know, makes Joe Manchin feel happy and all that kind of stuff. Great. And, and you know, hopefully, though, you know, you're going to you're going to you're going to hit a crunch point where you got to make a decision. Um, and I think the assumption is that the, you know, the Democratic caucus in the House is going to write a bill. Uh, the Senate you know, House Democrats, uh, Senate Democrats may fiddle here and there, and they may need to, much as it was the case with the Relief Act, you know, uh, Joe Manchin did throw a few wrenches in at the end. He, he he wouldn't support what needed to be done to get the minimum wage in there. He kind of did a couple little things on the margins, but he voted for it. Um, and I guess the, the message is that we're going to have to slog through this summer, do that work. And at the end, we'll probably have a big infrastructure bill. Let's hope so. Yeah. And I mean, I think the big concern about going through these negotiating motions or, you know, charade has always been there's such a limited window to legislate during this first term. Because, you know, as we've said a lot on the pod, you only get about a year before people are going to go campaign. Um, It just it gives you a short window for kind of the ambitious legislative slate that Biden and the Democrats want to do. But, you know, as reiterated by Manchin on Sunday, he has no plans to touch the legislative filibuster, which basically takes that entire legislative agenda off the table anyway. 
So in that kind of depressing way, time might not be as much of an issue. Um, But as you say, there's also Schumer's kind of starting this dual assault while these negotiations are going on on infrastructure, where he's bringing a series of popular, hard to argue against on its face bills to the floor. The plan being Republicans are going to filibuster all of them. And the hope is that the accumulation of obstruction and frustration will be enough to prod Manchin, Cinema, the few others who um, who like the filibuster to gut it once and for all. Um, now, of course, the big crescendo to that effort was planned to be S1, the For the People Act, the sweeping democracy reforms package, which Democrats have marketed as kind of this crucial safety net in light of Republican state legislatures doing all they can to make it harder to vote, uh, which, as you said in the intro, Manchin officially came out against on Sunday with this just completely kind of nutso logic of saying, I want to do the John Lewis Voting Act instead. Great. That's got one Republican attached to it. You're not going to get nine others. Um, And as you say, the two bills are not interchangeable. The John Lewis Voting Act is not just kind of a smaller version of S1. They do fundamentally different things. Um, So where we're kind of standing now is Schumer last night brought the uh, fair or the paycheck Paycheck Fairness. Yeah, Paycheck Fairness Act. That's it. Uh, meant to, you know, help eliminate the the gender pay gap. So that came to the floor last night and Republicans filibustered it. You know, it ended up it was 49 to 50 because Gillibrand wasn't there. But, you know, the thing that kind of was weird to me about that is I totally get the logic of the, you know, induce filibuster after filibuster after filibuster. And I think that's a smart way to do it. I don't get doing it totally under the radar. I mean, that filibuster kind of went off with a whimper. There wasn't yeah. any attention given it. I, I was sort of, I was sort of a little, I was a little confused about that because not only did it not get a lot of attention, they they generally take a long time. But I guess maybe, the, the, I mean, long time, a few days. You know, it's not something. It it it's it's not for those who aren't as familiar with the Senate process. It's not that they call a roll call vote and that's it. There's talking and this, but I guess mm-hmm. the point is that um, in this case, um, if Republicans have no in- maybe interest in drawing it out, it, it is fairly quick. But yeah, it was under the radar, and and I guess you know this is this is something that um, maybe Democrats need to need to think a little bit more about how you how you sort of stage manage this that um, press attention will just naturally and understandably not be that great when you're 100% clear that it's going to be filibustered and not go anywhere. And and so they may need to do a little better there. Uh, because yeah, I didn't even know it had already happened. I mean, I knew it was, I knew it was first up. I know it was happening. I didn't know it was done. Right. And I mean, I think on the, the press piece, it's also, you know, they as Senate leaders, should be talking about it more. You know, I was on the Hill yesterday and Schumer's floor speech, the first two thirds of it were not about that. It was about the the Chinese competitive bill, which passed last night, which I know he, he helped write and he's proud of it. And he's excited that it got passed with bipartisan support. But if the if the idea here is to maximize the pain of the filibuster and to make Republicans look as bad as possible for opposing broadly popular, hard to argue with legislation such as eliminating the gender pay gap. Don't you want to shout that from the rooftops and just make it painful, 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 especially because Manchin was an original co-sponsor of this bill. It was clearly targeted to hit him where it hurts. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of went off with a whimper. And then Manchin was like, yeah, I'm disappointed, but I'm going to keep working for pay equity in the United States. And that's that. And so I just, I think it's a good idea. I think they got to ramp up the pressure campaign. I think you got to call Manchin on his bluff instead of kind of tiptoeing around so as not to anger him. But it's beyond me why you just kind of let it happen in the middle of the night with absolutely no fanfare. Yeah, that is that is kind of weird. And the other thing, the other thing again, and and if you're getting tired of me saying that Joe Manchin is illogical, believe me, I'm getting tired of it. <laughs> I'm the, I'm getting tired of my saying it. 
right? <laughs> I'm getting, t- it's, 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 what is the point of saying the same thing over and over again? Um, but if you'll allow me one more opportunity, wh- th- this illustrates one of the we- strange things about this. In policy terms, everybody's talking about Joe Manchin is the most conservative Democrat in the caucus. Well, that may be true, but he's not very conservative. You know, he's got a regional thing with coal that we know about, right? And and guns are a big issue in his state. He's not, you know. But on a lot of these issues, you know, pay equity it has been for many years fairly controversial. Not in the abstract, but what government does to sort of force the matter. And he's right there. He's a co-sponsor, right? He's not there like, oh, you know, I there's got to be more free market or something like this. And he's kind of the same on the infrastructure bill. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it would be a little more straightforward if he were clearly more conservative. Uh, but at least in policy terms, he's, he's not. Well, and I think the thing that's so frustrating about him is that he won't spell out any policy his his issues. He won't spell them out in any specific way. He just keeps saying, I want things to be bipartisan without talking about what part of the bills he thinks is too partisan to operate. And I think that really frustrates people, especially on S1, because he sent he wrote that op-ed we talked about and said this is too partisan of a bill, but wouldn't talk about which pieces of it he opposes and why he likes the John Lewis Act better. So it makes it very hard to craft a legislative agenda around the whims of Joe Manchin when nobody, including possibly him, knows what those whims are in any specific way other than kind of an obsession with being seen as bipartisan. Well, I think, you know, that that's he he did kind of go there for the first time uh, with that op-ed in, in as much as that he said the bill is too partisan. But broadly speaking, he has actually been pretty clear if kind of a, a bit nonsensical because like I had some I had a, I had one of our readers email me and said has anybody kind of buttonholed mansion and said okay what are the what are the issues what are the specific issues right that, that are that are either you got to have or you refuse to have and and really he's been pretty clear with most of these bills he's not that picky you know they're they're fine for him and 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 he could go this way or that way he is pretty much exclusively defining bipartisanship as when Republicans agree to vote for it. So he's not even saying kind of like, look, don't make it impossible for them. You know, don't, 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 uh, don't do this or don't do that. It, it's, it is a, it is pretty much purely a, the definition is when Republicans vote for it. And as we've said, that is something, you know, in everything you do in life, in or certainly when any kind of contest is happening, you you maintain the initiative. You try to you 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 can't control whether you win, but you control you try to control the process. Well, obviously the Democrats have no input on when Republicans will decide they want to vote for something to help the Democrats. I mean, Probably it'll just never happen. Anything that is, de- you know, defined and uh, particularly important, um, and that, and that, as you as you say, Kate, makes it. It's just very hard to know where you grab on because there are no specifics. And he's again, he's being clear. He's actually being very clear. He's just not making a lot of sense. He is saying, "Get back to me when you have ten Republicans." That's clear enough. But how you do that? is not clear. How he's going to help get it done is not clear. And especially because Republicans don't want Joe Biden to succeed as president. Right. Which is the fundamental thing that is most confusing to me about Manchin. Because when he started out the term, he said multiple times his biggest priority was Joe Biden having a successful presidency. That is just at odds with what he's saying now. And I just, I don't believe that he doesn't know it. Even if the fundamental answer to all of our kind of crystal ball reading about Manchin is he's just like not that smart of a person, even if that is the correct conclusion. He knows those two things are at odds. So either yeah, he's get- prioritizing something above Joe Biden having a successful presidency or, you know, something else is going on here. One Again, another thing, and this is where I get all my wisdom from is from your emails, you know, wisdom such as it is, uh, is that he's really been all over the place. 
And so we don't have to say like, is he smart or not? But kind of like he has not, he's been totally inconsistent. And he is now I think the counter to this is that he's, he's, his, his trajectory has been tightening, not loosening in his, you know, kind of strictures in his inflexibility, but he's been all over the place. And, and I'm kind of persuaded that these things that he's saying absolutely never positively ever, 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 you know, maybe, maybe today, maybe next week, I'm not saying I'm kind of betting on him deciding to, to, you know, to reform the filibuster, but he has, he's really been all over the place. So, you know, make of that what you will. Yeah. So we're going to keep talking about the future of the term, but I think we got a couple questions that kind of help shape that conversation. So our first one is from Jeffrey, who says, since the filibuster effectively kills the Democrats' ability to legislate, should they return to investigation not only of January 6th, but also the broader corruption in the previous administration? I recall Josh being somewhat lukewarm on the second impeachment because he thought COVID relief was a higher congressional priority. If other legislation is basically pointless now, what other power does a Democratic majority have and how should they use it? So I think there are a couple kind of interesting questions bottled into here. But um, the piece that I've been thinking the most about, I think, is what are the downsides for Democrats to kind of be retroactive looking back on the Trump administration, given that they can't really do anything else while Manchin is in this posture. Um, and that right now, any legislating past infrastructure seems pretty remote. Um, and while I, I kind of like the idea of having a historical record of this stuff, and I, I'm definitely a proponent for a January 6th commission, even one that's kind of disregarded by Republicans as partisan, um, because I do think it's important to get down for once and for all what happened. Um, and I think that makes it harder for Republicans to kind of money the narrative. I do think there's a risk for Democrats to spend Biden's term just looking back and just kind of dealing with Trump and what he did. And the source of that for me is there was a report that came out a few days ago from three major Democratic interest groups that was an analysis of the last election, and it had recommendations about how Democrats can win going forward. And one of their major conclusions was that Democrats need to do a better job presenting an economic agenda um, and that they lean too heavily on anti-Trump rhetoric rather than kind of creating their own brand in the last election cycle. And then that wasn't enough to pull every Democrat over the finish line. So I think inherent in that is the risk that if Democrats kind of, for good reason, just abandon attempts to legislate and spend all their time uh, kind of you know prosecuting Trump through whatever means available, they just risk going into the next election with the same thing, you know, kind totally defining themselves as anti-Trump, which this the these this kind of large, deep analysis found was just not enough, which kind of makes me think, is that what they should spend the rest of the term doing if all legislating becomes impossible? Use what they have through what Biden can do unilaterally, what they can do through agencies and just work on kind of creating a brand that they can carry into the midterms. Because if there is no, if Manchin stands firm, if there's no legislating that's going to happen after infrastructure, Democrats' best hope at that point is to kind of turn back the historical tide, the precedent that they're going to lose seats, and just pour all their energy into maintaining and growing their majorities in these two chambers. Because otherwise, I just, I'm not sure what's left. You know, so I think given that information, if legislating is totally off the table, I think you just got to do everything you can to use what legislation was passed to craft an economic message, especially to counter the Republican narrative that Democrats are the ones who caused the lockdown that caused the economic devastation. Just like pour all your money into tailoring that message and crafting it so it apply or so it's. Um, you know, easily accepted by different groups, different states, different regions, et cetera. And then just go barreling into the midterms and just go whole hog into winning the biggest majorities you have. So next time, you know, it's not Manchin who's deciding what the Democratic Party does or worse, a Republican majority who's stymieing absolutely everything. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I have been uh, very forward leaning and very aggressive that we need to get to the bottom of really everything that happened in the Trump presidency. I think that's really critical. Um, it is even more critical if, if he's going to be running for president against Joe Biden in 2024. 
right? We need that. We need that kind of factual record out there. But even if he's not, we we need it just to kind of clean the stables, as, as it were. But I really think it would be. If there is no legislating possible after an infrastructure bill, and again, I don't think we should take that totally for granted. Um, if there's no more legislating possible, I think it would be a disaster to just say, to go back to investigating Trump is going to be our, our, our whole thing. We should be doing that anyway. But that is inherently not a, that is not a, a, a message that that takes the place of what are you going to do to improve people's lives? What is the reason that people get enthused about voting for Democrats? What are the, what is the what is the virtuous cycle between I mobilize to vote for Democrats and get my friends to vote for Democrats and contribute money and volunteer for Democrats because policy things are going to happen that are going to make things better that are going to that are going to avert the worst of the climate catastrophe that are going to make sure uh, everything is no longer broken that are going to you know uh, make sure that 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 uh, people you know working class people are at least getting the basics insured to them they have health care they are not they are, they are, have uh, you know higher minimum all these kind of things you have to do that that has to be the thing. People, uh, political partisans are going to be are are, are going to want to hold uh, Trump accountable for this, that, and the other. But th- that's not a message going into the future. And you, it's 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 easy to kind of fall into a lot of you know kind of sappy campaign speech about you know elections are always about the future, but they are always about the future. They are so. I don't think that would be a good move. I think that if they can no, if they cannot pass any more big legislation after, you know, let's say there's infrastructure but the other things you can't do, I think you shift into spending, you know, a, a year plus talking about all the amazing things in the infrastructure bill, talking about all the amazing things in the um uh, in the COVID relief bill, one of the things about having a majority is you get to schedule the votes. So you start scheduling votes that are basically, uh, hey, this is the, isn't it awesome that we got the vaccines all out in time bill? And isn't it awesome that uh, that road got built near your house bill? You, you kind of you you use the le- you can use the legislative process to guide attention to things. You can also do a tons of st- you can do tons of stuff via executive order, and you're not going to win the midterms because you show that Trump sucked. Anybody's with their anybody with their eyes open knows he sucked and that he was a crook. Y- you're you're going to have to be able to go into the midterm and say, look at all the stuff we got done. Do you want to go back to the other way? Do you want to get rid of the good stuff? Do you want to get rid of Obamacare? Blah, 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 blah. That is the only election that Democrats win. Um, and so, and, and one thing I think that is really important to uh, keep in mind is that if the Democrats pass an infrastructure bill of the scale, you know, broadly in the scale that they are trying to, that will be a big fucking deal. That will, that will, it it will um it will unfold over a long period of time but that will be transformative people will see it so a big thing you do as kate was saying is you just talk about it constantly for the next year um and again there's the way to the way to see the 2022 election and this has been from the case from the first day is you are passing stuff you are making people vote on stuff you are talking about stuff all queuing up to in November 2022, you make an argument to say, we made things better. Don't go back. We made things better. Don't go back. And really, we need more, we need more votes in, in the Senate, in the House to make things even better. So anti-Trumps, I mean, look, no one is more anti-Trump than me. No one is more, he's got to be held accountable. We've got to get to the details. But that's not a message going forward. That is just critical work that you do regardless. Yeah. And I think in some ways, Democrats will benefit off the idea that Congress has been like pretty dysfunctional for a while. So there is good precedent for how to run for re-election 
when you haven't actually legislated that much. I mean, I think in some ways that's a page you can take out of the Republicans book. They had all three branches under Trump and all they essentially did was the tax cuts in 2017. So and I think that's also a plus of having these like enormous bills that they're passing, both COVID relief and if they ultimately get what they want on infrastructure, that's a four trillion dollar package that includes you know, hard infrastructure, bridges, roads, stuff, soft infrastructure. Um, and so I think you can kind of break out all those individual things um, and act like they're all separate successes, because to some degree they are, they are. you know, they and are. American yeah. people, I think, don't care or know if each piece of these giant bills were passed individually or together. I mean, that's plenty, you know, that's plenty to make the case that says, look at all we did with these breathtakingly slim majorities. Yep. You help us out. You give us a few more senators and we can do, you know, the more progressive stuff. We can do the stuff that we really want to do. And I'll, I'll say too, and again, Democrats, because they are so focused on the mechanisms, on both the mechanisms of government and the importance of government, have this real tendency to slip into, okay, now we're legislating and then later we're politicking. Well, Everything you do over a two-year, uh, a two-year congressional cycle, is political. Everything it should be. That's not a bad word. That doesn't mean you're not serious about about legislating or governing. But everything is political, and not everything is passing new laws. As, as Kate just said, people don't care if we're like, well, infrastructure bill is only one thing, so that's only you only get one point for that. It's actually a ton of things. And that's what and that's why it is under an optimistic scenario. That's why it's taking so long. Because it, it uh, you know, I had someone mention to me uh, a couple days ago, this is like, you know, writing seven or eight, creating seven or eight different programs to spend this stuff. It's a lot to, to spend $4 trillion. And again, it's not just pouring money into existing things. It's, it's creating entirely new programs. So there is implementing that, there is talking about Every single day you implement a new thing, it's politicking about substance. And again, to Kate's point, the fact that it may all become law in the late summer of 2021 doesn't mean there's not a ton more to do. I mean, it'll be really fucking hard to implement this stuff. We saw even with Obamacare that, that did relatively well, it was really hard. So um, I think we're down with no. On that question, that is not the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I do want to point out, I don't think neither of us are saying that's going to be easy for many reasons, including as we've talked about the precedent of heading into the midterms. I mean, it's not like a super rosy landscape for Democrats, plus Democrats tend to suck at messaging. But I think that's why this is like a really good opportunity to try to strengthen those muscles a little bit. And also, I mean, the bottom line, if Manchin is taking moving, changing the filibuster off the table, it's it's all there is, basically. So, all right, let's move on to our second question. Um, this is from Jordan. You know, everyone is frustrated and annoyed by Manchin, but my question is, at what point is the hurt he causes the Democratic Party more than the gain of having his seat? He's not contributing anything, and he's hurting the process. If the Democrats get one more seat, this retaining control, thus retaining the control of the agenda in the Senate, why wouldn't they primary him or remove the whip like they do in other parliamentary systems? I know it's not a thing done in the U.S., but he's hurting their case every day and always has. So I think the important thing in this question is that Jordan is making clear he's not advocating for removing Manchin before they get another seat. So, you know, that's the most obvious knee-jerk reaction I had is having Manchin means that you know, Schumer is the majority leader. He controls the floor. Democrats get the gavels on the committees. We can, Democrats can nominate judges, you know. So having him there just in a body in a seat who's a Democrat is important aside from everything else that Manchin presents. And my reaction to this was kind of, I don't think it's necessarily bad for Democrats to have Manchin in a seat if they get more seats. You know, Manchin I think frustrations with him are very valid, but he has kind of come through for Democrats on big things, including, you know, Affordable Care Act, COVID relief. He does tend to be there mm -hmm. uh, when they need him. So and I think having a sometimes yes vote is better than an always no Republican vote, which is what would happen if Manchin was primaried or even if he's not in the next election. You know, those are uphill odds. But I do think to some degree that frustrations with Manchin should be channeled into 
thinking about how he got into this ultra powerful position, which is that Democrats flubbed winnable races yeah. in places like North Carolina yeah, or like tell Maine. Yeah, Cal Cunningham, basically. Right, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, imagine yeah. if they had won. I still remember I wrote up the thing that was like, I separated into three tiers of these Senate races. The one that was like, Democrats should win these, basically. The next tier was Democrats could win these. And then the next was Democrats will win these if it's like a huge blue tsunami kind of thing. And Democrats didn't even win all the seats on that first tier, which I think, you know, and I'm keeping in mind, there are a lot of voting restrictions purposely put into place by Republicans. I don't argue with that. But based on the runoffs in Georgia, Democrats can win hard races when they pick good candidates and when they organize and when they tailor a message to that place. And that just didn't happen in in that election cycle, which is why we're left with Manchin kind of controlling the party agenda. So I think that's a big part of what it kind of ties into what we were saying before is like, Going forward, the most important thing for Democrats to do is to get out of this situation in a way that gives them more seats, more of a buffer and lessens Manchin's importance. And I think if that happened, if in 2022, say Democrats did pick up a couple seats, Manchin isn't going to be king of the Senate anymore. And I don't think his conservative ideals would bother people as much as they do right now. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree. And I I would say, too, I mean, first of all, I it's hard for me to get past the first point, and I don't think people fully get this. The mere fact that he makes Chuck Schumer majority leader is so important. It is it is it is impossible to overstate how important just that is. Everybody gets you know, if, if not for that, a lot of nominees don't even get a vote. Uh, Joe Biden would be negotiating with Mitch McConnell over what kind of person he could nominate to run the Justice Department. It would be a disaster, an absolute disaster. So that alone is just so huge. And even beyond nominations and confirmations, you know, we talked about before, 2022 should be all test votes, you know, because because we control we control what gets voted on. So just keep queuing up hard votes for Republicans as opposed to hard votes for Democrats. So I do think, again, I, I, I just think people underestimate how critical, how important that is to start with. The other thing is Joe Manchin, if he wanted to, he'd become a Republican tomorrow. And I guarantee you, he would get he, he would go to Mitch McConnell and say, OK, I'll be a Republican. I want seniority. I want this. I want that. And they give it all to him. So I, I think the answer, again, is 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 no. And it's because of this, that in the present, his role, even annoying the hell out of everybody, is so is such a godsend. You can't even you can't even describe it. And if 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 you get three more votes, it, it's not like, oh, then you can ditch him. Why ditch him? It won't matter to ditch him. He won't be as important. So the, so the the there's just no um, th- there's just no logic at any point to punishing him or trying to write him out of the party or primarying him or something like that. It's different if you might replace that person with someone better. I mean, that was the big thing back, you know, 15 years ago with with Joe Lieberman. Joe Lieberman was kind of, you know, occupying this role in some ways in a more destructive way because he was often undermining democratic ideological points in doing so. But the point was he's from Connecticut. Right. It's a super liberal state primarying him because because there's just no I mean, it's not impossible for a Republican to get elected from Connecticut, but pretty close, right? So there's just look, Joe Manchin is driving the driving me crazy, certainly. But um, th- that's a great seat to have. That in some ways, Democrats have no business having, right? Because it is such a Republican state in national political terms. So no, there's just there's just never there there's frankly never a point where it will be it will be more trouble than it's worth to have Joe Manchin around. It's great that he's a Democrat. He's driving me nuts. Maybe driving you nuts, but. It would be far, far worse if he were a Republican. And frankly, if if he got replaced by a Republican, he will not be replaced by a Democrat. It will not happen. If it turns out that he if I heard that he wasn't running in 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 2024, I would do everything to say, like, Joe Manchin, please run again. We need you because not going to be replaced by another Democrat. Right. I mean, and that's why I feel totally different about cinema. I think she she will and should be primaried because 
her politics are more conservative than her states, as we've seen from Mark Kelly, who's serving at the same time, who's acting a lot more like you would expect someone from a purple state to act. So there, she could be replaced with someone who is closer to the center of the Democratic Party. And that's not like a stretch. Joe Manchin is the best we're going to do from a, a plus 39 Trump state. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, I I am so down on cinema. I, I I can't think of 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 any time I've been more down on any Democratic senator or representative. I will say though that it's not the same as Connecticut. That is still a state that has a Republican governor, Republican legislature. It's Democrats won it for president this time, but for the first time in like a quarter century. Um, or wait, did I don't think Obama won it. Um, I think it was Clinton was last who won it. In any case, it's still pretty touch and go there. And I do think in a in a in a state like that where it's so touch and go, you have an acrimonious primary, there's a pretty decent shot. You end up with a divided party and you lose the seat. So primarying her is not without risk by any stretch of the imagination. However, I it it's a it's a it's a tough call, frankly. Um, but you do there are certain cases where you need to try to enforce some party discipline. And I really see her at this point as really kind of on an ego trip and acting as a troll. I really think that's what it is. I get that she wants to, she definitely and rightly in Arizona wants to say, I'm not just another, you know, kind of national Democrat. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm different from that. And one thing that people don't remember, and that I think, and this is kind of, kind of what drives me crazy, but it's probably also to an extent what she's trying to live down. She was like the communications director for Nader in 2000. And she was way out there, both in her politics and in her kind of political self-presentation for a long time. And I suspect to the extent that you can put any logic to this, she's trying to live that down. She's trying to make clear she's not just like a little more, a little more mellow, a little more moderate. She's, you know, that is that you don't remember that other person. But that also, I think, tells us pretty clearly, this is all performative and this is all just like tactical. And it is not, it is way, way above and beyond any kind of, uh, you know, sort of self-preservation. So it's it's different with Manchin. Look, he's from a Republican state. It's amazing that he's that he has won the races that he has, and pretty pretty handily. Yeah, and I think where I come from on the Arizona thing, because I agree with you. I mean, it's it's not California. It's not a slam dunk. But it, Mark Kelly won really handily. And granted, he probably has the most compelling personal story known to mankind. And that's not easily replicable. But there's a, he's not the only one, you know, he's not the only one who's going to have a, a compelling story and be a good fit for the state. And I just think it would behoove Democrats to go out and see if they can find somebody else like that. Because right now, cinema is acting more conservative than she deserves to be. And I think it's totally valid for the party to see if they can't do better and I also think she's kind of at the point where she's probably pissed off so many Democrats in Arizona to begin with that I think it would be a hard sell to ask people to pound the pavement and knock doors for someone who's seen as kind of screwing over the party for no real reason repeatedly. Yep. Um, yep. So. Yeah, we're, we're totally in agreement. The only kind of slight hedge for me is that the process of primary yeah. is, no, is pretty fair. chaotic and, and, and breaks a lot of China. There's, there's, there's zero question if you're starting from scratch, you, there's plenty of people who could win that race for the Democrats in, um, you know, in a, in a, in a reasonable year. So it's, yeah. it's a tough one. Luckily, is she up in 24 or 26? Ugh, don't remember off the top. I think it's 24. Uh, because they didn't have two, they didn't have both Senate elections at the same time. Right. Yeah. So it must be she's up at the same time as Manchin, actually. Yeah. And there one, just one last point I wanted to make on this is that just kind of an interesting side effect, I think, of the Democratic fury with Manchin and with cinema is that the filibuster is becoming a litmus test for new Democratic candidates, which is interesting and, you know, good for Democrats, I think. I saw, um, 
Fetterman out of Pennsylvania, who's running for Senate there, put out a statement the other day saying that he'll um, always be the 51st vote. Uh, you know, I saw Connor Lamb, who's a moderate, who's considering a Senate run. He said that he is all for eliminating the filibuster. So that's kind of, for Democrats, I think, a happy byproduct of having these obstinate Republican. Or that is a big deal, because I would say even even in 2020, a lot of Senate Democrats were kind of like, well, you yep. know, we'll, we'll kind of look at it and blah. And even I relatively recently was kind of, you know, do you really get rid of it totally? It makes it just like the House of Representatives, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, to the extent that it is, it is, you know, because I, I keep hearing like, well, he's just, you know, Manchin is taking the heat for these other people, you know, whether it's like Angus King or, you know, Dianne Feinstein, these other kind of, you know, kind of laying low people who also don't want to do it. But what I've been telling people is like, trust me, if Manchin got on board, and then those people had to say like, oh, I, I don't, I, I like the filibuster, man, they would be, they would be mowed down so quickly. It, you know, they're staying quiet for a reason. Right. Because it is, it is radioactive in democratic politics. Well, and I've also been working on a pretty intense filibuster tracker of people's uh, opinions and how they've shifted. And we'll have something out on the website with some like cool graphic-y type stuff at some point soon. But I would say with two exceptions, almost everybody who's had kind of statements in the past saying uh, minority rights, I like the filibuster, almost everyone, including King, including Feinstein, has softened that position in recent months and said, okay, actually, maybe I'd be for some reform. So I'm not saying that the whole caucus is like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, let's get rid of it, let's eliminate it. But the vast, vast majority of the caucus has at least said they're down with some kind of reform to put the onus back on the minority and make it harder to use. Yeah, I mean, and and it, it is true. I mean, it, it has been clarifying because if you think about it in the context of of new senators, if if you're if you're a John Fetterman or anybody around the country running for Senate, and if you get asked about the filibuster, you're saying, "Well, I kind of think it's important." Man, Democrats be that dude. What is the point? Yep. What is the point? Yep. Like the conversation ends. No, right I think 2020 is the last cycle you could get away with that. Yeah, there, there, there's no way because you have trained a generation of Democrats to say if you're not, if you, if you're not kind of totally down the line on 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 50 vote rules, why are we investing? Right. Why why invest? And I will I will say this: I, I haven't totally thought through. Even I am not opposed to some. There is some logic in having the Senate move a bit slower than the House. And there are lots of ways, whether you want to call it a filibuster or not, that you kind of, you force a little more extended deliberation process. Um, it certainly wouldn't be all I would ask for, but as I've said a few times on, on, on the pod, it would make a world of difference simply to make it an obligation of the minority to show up with 40 votes on a moment's notice. Right, not just not just that that the majority has to have sixty votes, but kind of like uh, Chuck Schumer can kind of kind of look at the clock Friday night, say, "All right, tomorrow at ten a.m. I'm going to call a vote. Hope hope everybody can get there. You know, hope you can get forty votes." But there's other things. There's sort of like you know, you could have it where it's it's uh, forty votes, and then after six weeks, it's forty five votes. You. The key, and obviously people talk about having it as a talking filibuster. The key is it is it literally requires nothing, and it's unbounded, and that that's just not workable. That is not workable at all. I think at this point, it's it's um, the uh, the space for the kind of the slight you know kind of reform, short of totally getting rid of it. I'm not sure there's even space for that anymore. It's been so discredited, rightly. But yeah. 2020 was the last chance you got to have any 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 equivocation on the filibuster if you were running as a Democrat. That's done. Yep. Yep. I think that's right. Okay. We're, we're running out of time here, but as Josh teased last episode, we do want to officially introduce our theme song co- competition to upgrade our current music with an original composition from one of our fans. Uh, so real quick, here are the rules. The clip should run about a minute and a half, two minutes max. Um, should be high quality audio. We will pay for the, the winning submission. Uh, we ask for these compositions by the end of June. Send them to talk at talkingpointsmemo.com with podcast theme song competition in the subject line to help us pick it out from the inbox. 
Um, and thank you to everyone who's already reached out to express interest. Um, you know, we're excited to hear what you come up with. I, I would say too, like, and, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to uh, constrain everybody's creativity too much, but I think in general, the kind of theme song we have right now, the kind of the, the base, you know, the baseline and everything, I kind of like that. Right. I mean, there's there's one could imagine sort of a little more NPR ish, like kind of like little, little low energy. That's I don't think that's us. Right. Or some, or, or something. I, I like something kind of kind of up tempo uh, like that. Um, so to the extent that that is, um, you know, to the extent to kind of get your get your um, uh, composer uh, thoughts moving. But obviously, we don't want it to be identical. We don't want to just have one that that no one else can use. Um, but I, I just put that out there that I think that's a kind of a, I don't know, has some energy to it. What do, what do you think? Kate? <laughs> some high energy Jeb tunes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Do you have a? Do you come in with like a preference or a style? Or no, I'm, I don't know. I'm open. I want to see what the creative floodgates unleash here. Yeah, and I, I would say too. Don't like. Don't think if that's not your. You know, if if, if that's not your style, there, there there's no point. I mean, I I, I think uh, certainly very often the case for me and for many people that you don't know what you're going to like until you hear it. Right. Right. And then you hear it and you're like, oh, wow, that's great. That's exactly what we need to have. And uh, yeah, let's do it. And and we'll, um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think we've I don't think we've discussed this yet, but we're not just going to kind of introduce it one day and say, oh, yeah, that's the theme song. This person wanted, you know, we'll kind of get into it and. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, we'll listen to, to listen to different ones, get your feedback and everything. So it'll be a lot of fun. And uh, and we'll end up with a cool new theme song. So it'll be yeah. awesome. So remember, talk at talkingpointsmemo.com, home for theme song uh, competition entries, as well as questions. We got a ton this week and they were all really good. So yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. Keep them coming. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I even wonder if there's like, I don't know, maybe we can, maybe we can, uh, maybe eventually we can find a way because we're gen generally doing, you know, a couple of them and we're getting way more. Maybe eventually we'll set up a part of the site where, I don't know, we publish the questions that we can't answer. And I, I don't know, just it, yeah. there are a lot of them are just really interesting questions that we haven't, you know, just time limitations haven't, I haven't gotten around to. Totally. But, but definitely keep coming, uh, keep them coming in. And remember that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady cold brew iced coffee. If you're ready to give Grady's a try, you can get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM. All right. All right. Later. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>